All right. I know you guys are really smart. And you're savvy. And you know things. So I'm going to run you through some trivia. Just some, some basic trivia of the world and how the Bible. Just to see what you know. Question number one. Do you guys know what the largest parade in the world is by length and number of participants? Nope. Mm-mm. No. You know, Nene. Mm-mm. Nope, you know it. No, you know it. Is it It's Schnutzenfest! Yes! It's Schnutzenfest in Hanover, Germany. I told you it would be important. Earlier did it is important. It was it was important right now. You knew. Earlier this week, earlier this week we were eating Snyder's pretzels, pretzels that were made in Hanover, Germany. And I was like, hey, Schnutzenfest is in Hanover, and you should remember that because it's gonna be important later. <laughs> I reminded him multiple times, you need to remember Schnutzenfest. So Schnutzenfest is the world's largest parade. By, by float and length, it has about one and a half million visitors every year. And that's not just the parade, it's like a whole festival. And it runs seven and a half miles long, which is really, really long. Now, question number two, what do you think is the largest parade in the United States? No, actually, no, it's not. It is the Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade. Now, technically... The Macy's, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade has more viewers than Schnutzenfest, but it is smaller. It has uh, 3.5 million people on average that come and watch, which is a lot, in person, and then 50 million people watch on TV every year. I had never really watched the Macy's Parade until Amber came into my life, and it's like a tradition of the McLean House or something, and I was like, I don't have any interest in watching this. these people walk around New York, but I've watched... Parts of it now, which I haven't before. Question number three. But how many giant balloon characters do you think they fly in the Macy's Parade each year? But how many do you think they have? The, like the really big balloons. And no. Twelve is actually really close. It's usually around 17. And they have 45 smaller balloons. Of course, they're still really large. And then they have about 30 floats or so. And um, next question. How many cubic feet of helium do you think would fit in one of those giant balloons? It's actually pretty close to a million. Let's see if anybody can get closer. It's, it's smaller. Okay, that's close enough. Well, it, I mean, it is quite a range. I mean, they can range from 300,000 to 700,000 cubic feet of helium. Now, here's the real kicker. Let's see if you guys really know your stuff about helium. How much do you think it costs to fill one of those large balloons, keeping in mind 300,000 to 700,000 cubic feet of helium? There is a lack of helium because it keeps escaping our atmosphere. It actually is so light that it enters the upper atmosphere and gets blown off by solar radiation. So we actually are always losing it. The only way we get more is we make it. 100,000, okay. 300,000? 15,000? You're way wrong, buddy. You knew Schnutzenfest. You did not know your helium. It's a minimum of $510,000 to fill up one of those balloons. 
Isn't that crazy? That's a lot of money for helium. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is the second largest consumer of helium in the world. The first largest is the United States government, and they use it for super cool scientific experiments. Liquid helium is really good at that. So, $510,000. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is this extremely large undertaking. I mean, it takes a long time to plan. Usually about 10,000 people are involved. And they come together and spend about $15 million to make this happen. Not to mention, you have to coordinate with the city police for road closures, and the path changes every single year because of certain construction and whatever's going on in the city. And there are other things going on in the city at the same time. And they also hire crews to come and clean up the streets after the parade. And there are people who have to be trained how to run the giant balloons. They're called balloon pilots, by the way, which sounds interesting until you realize you have to walk backwards for three and a half miles. So that doesn't sound fun. Then there are balloon assistants. Sometimes there are up to 70 balloon assistants for just one of those giant balloons, and each of them have to be trained. They go out into an open field in the middle of the year, and they they do training exercises for giant balloon walking, which is important because... Almost 10 people have been killed. Not like they haven't been killed, but they've almost been killed, injured by these giant balloons, like crashing into poles and knocking them over and like stuff like that. So, and there's like regulations on how fast the wind can be blowing. There was one time way back in the day where they just let the balloons go at the end of the year, back in the early 20s. And this one pilot who was training thought it'd be fun to run into one on purpose. And he, and he almost died. I mean, luckily the training pilot who was helping him took back control. But then they said, okay, we shouldn't just let these balloons go anymore and fly around and land wherever. They had a $100 return award if you could get one back to Macy's, which is pretty fun. Okay, so these things, this parade is being planned out years in advance. And the bands that participate are vetted two years beforehand like they have to fill applications and then there's this process they go through so it takes a long time to plan one of these around 50,000 hours of labor go into a single macy's day parade which considering that an average person works about 90,000 hours in their life it would take you over half your lifetime if you were doing all the work by yourself to make sure this got pulled off which is just crazy that happens every year So, as crazy as that may be, as big as an undertaking as that may be, we are not here today to talk about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. We're here to talk about a different kind of parade, a different kind of planned event that happened 2,000 years ago. And it has a lot of intense planning as well that went along with it. So we're going to look at the uh, triumphal entry today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. And we kind of looked at the passage already, the words this morning anyway, in our responsive reading. But I want us to just read it again all the way through. And we're going to read about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Mark 11, starting right at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the field. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he, went, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. So every year around this time, surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection, we talk about this story where Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he's claiming to be the king. He's claiming to be the Messiah. But he doesn't do it alone. His disciples are with him and many others. It says those who are in front and those who are behind. It's kind of like this parade formation and Jesus is the center of this crowd as they're moving into Jerusalem. And not everyone realizes, though, the full scope of what Jesus is doing. But it's this very public announcement is this very public event that really puts Jesus in danger from the religious elite. It puts crosshairs on him. And when we inspect this passage, when we read it, there are some very obvious things here that are being planned, right? Not um, the least of which is this donkey that just gets found, this miraculous donkey, right? So Jesus is like, oh, by the way, just go over there. There's going to be this donkey here, and they're going to give it to you. And it happens, which I think is a miracle in and of itself, that he knew exactly how this was going on. So we can see that not only this donkey is in the exact place at the exact time that Jesus said it would be so that they could bring it back, but the rest of the account of the triumphal entry, the rest of the section here holds a lot of meaning because it's more than just riding on a donkey. He didn't just want to do that because it was convenient or because his legs were tired. No, this detail and many other details as we're going to look at go back a long time. They've been planned out for a very long time. Starting with the donkey, we are going to be looking at Zechariah 9.9. I'll have it up here on the screen for you. But Zechariah is a prophet from the Old Testament. He has his own whole book. He's about 500 years before Jesus. So Zechariah comes back from the exile in Babylon, and he served to exhort the people to get them to stop sinning, to uh, get rid of their spiritual apathy as their forefathers. And in his book, he wrote this prophecy, which is directly related to the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, Daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So remember that this small detail was written 500 years before Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem. So God planned out this small detail and many others in the Old Testament. That way the people who studied it would know, hey, this guy's the Messiah. God planned this all out so that when the time came, they could recognize who God had chosen to be king. 
And if you think about the Macy's Day Parade, yeah, it's a lot of work. And they're planning a year or two out in advance. But think about God planning to get everything that God had to do to get his son in the exact right place at the exact right time, hundreds of years before it happened. Think about the detail needed for Jesus to to ride into Jerusalem in the exact way that God had said he's going to. But we don't stop there. Zechariah isn't the only prophet who talks about the coming Messiah. There is an even older passage than Zechariah's prophecy by a few years, and it comes from Daniel. And Daniel chapter 9 says this, 24 through 26. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, excuse me, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. And after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So this passage is a vision given to Daniel about a little over 500 years before Jesus. And the angel Gabriel explains to Daniel what's taking place, and that's Gabriel's explanation. Now, it's important to know. We're not going to go into deep detail of this passage here, but it's important to know that the Hebrew word for weeks is shibuya, which is like from the office, shibuya, yeah, yeah, shibuya, rule. okay. If you watch the office, you know what I'm talking about. So a different word, shibuya, is, does mean week, but it also means periods of seven, all right? So many scholars, uh, many Bible commenters agree that this 70 weeks is actually, each week is a period of seven years. And if you do the math, between Daniel and the time of Jesus, it's almost exactly the right amount of time for Jesus to come in into Jerusalem, claim to be the Messiah, die to put an end to sin, and be resurrected, accomplishing all of what Daniel says in his vision. Now, we're going to take a look at an even older passage that goes all the way back to Exodus, seeing another significant key to what the triumphal entry is all about. So this goes back over 1,500 years, all the way back to Moses. Exodus 12, 1 through 3 and verse 6 says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So this is at the end of the Exodus, well, the beginning of them actually leaving, but the end of the plagues and Passover is happening. And there's this instruction for these lambs to be brought in on the 10th of the first month, which is Nisan. And they're going to keep them for four days. And then after that, they're going to slaughter them. And they're going to put the blood on their doorposts. And God's judgment is going to pass over them. They're going to receive mercy because of the sacrifice of this lamb. And this practice of the Passover was set up as a yearly reminder for Jewish people And this Passover celebration is also really important to us, although now it has different meaning because of Jesus. 
So God, who put together this Passover all the way back in Moses, 1,500 years before Jesus, is also the same God who orchestrated Jesus walking into Jerusalem. Okay, now here's where it gets cool. Jesus, the perfect sacrificial lamb, walked into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. Just like the sacrificial lamb was supposed to be brought into the household of the people. And in like form, just a few days later, he died for all of us. Just like God said the lamb should do it in the Passover. Almost 1,500 years before Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. But instead of dying for just one household, he died for the entire world. His sacrifice was enough to cover all of us. And if you think the Macy's Day Parade has a lot of planning that goes into it, this is 1,500 years before Jesus. I mean, God's setting all this up. It's the foundation to what's going on. And believe it or not, it actually goes back even further. And you're like, what's before that? Nothing. And that's exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that has appeared in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So before God put... This whole world together and it started spinning. Before he even made people, he knew that he was going to need a way to redeem us. Amen. To get us back. And so he planned for Jesus to walk into Jerusalem as the perfect sacrificial lamb before any of the particles of dust came together to form this earth. Think about that for a second. How special and significant then is the moment that we're reading about today. How precious does that make Jesus' entry into Jerusalem? How precious does that make his death and resurrection? So considering all that we've read, here are a couple things that I think we should take away. A couple things that we can learn and carry with us. Number one, Joanne even said it. What more evidence do you need that God loves you? No one cares more about you than God. There is language all over the Bible that God has been planning out our salvation and arranging all that is happening, all these small details like Jesus' triumphal entry for the purpose so that he can spend eternity with us in perfection. That's his goal. He's, He's trying to get to us being able to live with him forever, free from death and free from all the nasty things that are in this age. So what more proof do we need? That God is willing to do all of this. That he's patiently waiting. And that he sent his, son, sent his son to die for us. What more proof do we need? When some people read the Bible, they see a lot of harsh commandments. They see difficult callings. They see things that they're not interested in, Right? But when you realize that the God of love, who put all of this, I'm not talking just about the Bible, but everything around us. When the God who put all that together 
and loves us asks us to trust him, even though it may seem hard to us, we know it's for good because it's coming from love. Number two, Palm Sunday isn't just a fun parade, okay? Some people may read this story, they're just reading through the Gospels and they come across this time that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on donkey and thinks, so what? <laughs> this is kind of weird that he's riding on a donkey and all these people are celebrating. And they might just skim over it. Well, you shouldn't because it's filled with meaning. It's more than just a bunch of people shouting for fun. It's more than people just trying to overthrow the Roman government, which is what a lot of those people were thinking that Jesus was going to do. It was God bringing these big pieces of a plan, thousands of years in the making together. It was Jesus showing us who he really is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the sacrificial lamb that's going to put an end to the tyranny of sin. So it's this really deep moment and a rich moment. And I hope that we feel the weight of all that God is doing in, the, in that day. Number three, and I think it's important for us to always remember this, and it reminds me when I read this passage is that we're all sinners and, and we need saved. Sometimes I think we can start to feel like we're, we're good. <laughs> I think that we can begin to feel like we're genuinely good people. But that, my friends, is the trap of pride. And that is the trap of comfort. And what we read today reminds me that we're sinners because it reminds us that we need redemption. Even though the people were shouting Hosanna, which means saves us, save us now, they, they were shouting that maybe because they were thinking that Jesus was going to set them free from the physical kingdom that was ruling over them, the oppression of the Romans. But their call was a much deeper echo to the truth of what Jesus was actually there to do, which is to save us from sin. And if we need saved from sin, if, and if we need redemption, then that means we are sinners. That's just how it works. If we need forgiveness of sin, that means we are sinners. And we're hopeless without God and Jesus in our lives. And this is both a sobering truth. That we can't do enough good things on our own to earn our salvation. To, to do good enough. We can't do that. But it's also a point that calls us to celebration because we have been freed from sin through faith in Jesus. So I hope you've enjoyed the small reminder today of why this moment is so important. Why the triumphal entry is just an amazing day in history. I really encourage you guys to come and continue this celebration and remembrance of Jesus and what he did with us on Friday at our Good Friday service and for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday morning. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity to meet together today to worship you and your son, to remember all the things that you've done to prepare for us, to save us, pray that this week we really have a thankful heart for all that you've done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.